Hi friends, I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about what we've been reading. So get your TBR lists out. And then we'll talk about The Raven Tower, the new book by Anne Leckie out from Orbit Books. And then in a complete tone shift, we'll be discussing in another vault topic to pay down our 2018 vault debt by making some noises about Event Horizon, a 1997 space horror movie. Plus, we'll also be talking about what we're obsessed with this week. I am curious about the noises that we'll be making about Event Horizon. I suspect it'll be something like... It's going to be an adventure with Event Horizon. What a choice that was. But first, a short update. Based on the fact that they're very easy to win these days, I guess I never mentioned that sometimes in our show notes, there are book giveaways. I'm trying to find some excess books that I have, good homes, and y'all can help me out. We've recently changed how we do show notes, so giveaways should be a little bit more prominent now. So be sure to always read the show notes and check. I'm dying to know how many audiobooks you've read since the last time we talked. I've listened to three audiobooks and read a novel. Two of them were like massive books, over 14 hours of audio. And the book that I'm reading is also a chunker. So yeah, I've been listening to a lot. I'm so excited. Who knew? Who knew? So I'm on script. I use Google Play and, and also signed up for Audible. I caved. I have everything. I just don't have Overdrive because I have not found a library near me so that I can be a member and then be able to use the audiobooks facilities at the library that we have here. Highly recommend. That is how I read most of my audiobooks is via the library. So the ones that I have listened to were Melmoth by Sarah Perry which is kind of like of a gothic novel that takes Melmoth, a novel from the 19th century, and gender flips it. So Melmoth is a woman who has been punished with walking the world, um, witnessing the terrible things that happen to people. So she's kind of like an observer. And in this book, there is a main character who learns about Melmoth and becomes obsessed with her, thinking that she's observing her from afar because this character has done something that was morally reprehensible in her past. And it's it's really well done. And the audiobook was fantastic because it was so fucking scary. And in the end, like, there's a message. It addresses us. And the narrator was just fantastic in that one. I also read two young adult novels. One was called Do You Dream of Terror 2 by Tammy O. And it's about a crew of six late teens and who have been trained all their lives to go on a journey to colonize a new planet called Terra 2. And the journey itself will take 23 years. And it's 
it is just kind of like a really slow moving character driven novel that follows all sex and in their internal struggles, like leaving everything behind, never going back to Earth, spending 23 years inside a tiny spaceship where everything can go wrong and so on and so forth. Things do go wrong, as you can imagine. I also read a thriller, young adult thriller called The Cheerleaders by Kara Thomas, which is set in a small town where there are no more cheerleaders because the previous crew died in mysterious circumstances. The main character's sister was one of them who died by suicide, and she is struggling to find out what happened, whether it was really that what happened or it was something else. I'm reading right now Ancestral Night by Elizabeth Baer. It's super different. It's really hard sci-fi, so I'm reading it instead of listening because I found out that I do better with young adult historical and thrillers in audiobooks, but I read better in fantasy and sci-fi, if that makes any sense to you. It does, yes. I had trouble with dense nonfiction in audio. So this is what I've been listening slash reading. How about you? I'm in sort of a reading slump, which really makes me sad. Oh no! I was reading Dark Money by Jane Mayer. Jane Mayer is an investigative reporter who like really digs into corruption and people being bad and unethical. For example, Jane Mayer just recently did an article about Fox News and its connections to the White House. She was also a co-author on one of the reports from the Me Too movement that came out last year. She wrote an article with Ronan Farrow. So she's extremely good at digging up info and like presenting it in a accessible format. And Dark Money is about what happened after President Obama got elected and all the billionaires who are racist assholes deciding that they need to take over the U.S. government using their billions of dollars. And some of the ways that it happens is really fucking dark. If you like nonfiction and you have the time to take to read it, I highly recommend Dark Money. It's good so far. I have not finished it. It's very dense. Then I started The City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders. I'm halfway through that. I actually went to see Charlie Jane in St. Louis when she came for a book event. That trip was fucking cursed. And I can attest, Anna has read the whole thread where I talk about this cursed trip to St. Louis. It really was. So my mood was so bad that I just put the book down because I didn't want my mood to affect it because I was really enjoying the book up until that point. And seeing Charlie Jane was great. At Charlie Jane's event, I actually got to chat with Anne Leckie about her book. I didn't know that. You completely skipped that piece of information. Surprise! And other than that, besides the stuff we're going to talk about that I've read, obviously, I haven't picked up any other books. However, I have read some fanfic. Please don't tell me it's Venom fanfic. Oh, Anna, I'm sorry. I can't lie to you. (laughs) Surely this movie was not that good. It's not about the movie being good. That's not why people read fanfic. That's what I don't understand, right? Because I shall say no more, so I will get myself in trouble. When you read or you watch something imperfect, you're just like, man, those characters deserve better than that. Yeah, and then I continue with my life (laughs) with that disappointment inside of me forever. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't like that feeling of disappointment living inside me. So I go to fandom and fandom fixes it. It's nice. Anyway, I did read a Venom story that was great. Uh, it's called Wrapped Around Your Finger by Ara here. It's about Eddie and Venom dating. It's a very cute, maybe the wrong word, because I think guys get eaten in it. Is that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's some guys that get eaten. <laughs> However, it's still pretty cute. Next, there was a game that I played called Avengers Academy that shut down this year. Mm, I remember that. It was like all the Marvel characters at a high school. It sounds ridiculous, but it worked. That game was really popular. So obviously it was very sad. Of course, fandom fixed it for me. There is a story that I loved called Permanently Delete This File, Yes Slash No by Annie D, where the game shuts down and the characters scatter across the internet. But Steve and Tony go on this little like internet tube road trip as Tony works on a project and Steve keeps him company. And it's the cutest. Next, I read A Little Above This Difficult World by Splash the Cat, which came after I watched Jupiter Ascending again. And then I looked at AO3 for fic and I found this fic, which is not actually from Jupiter or Kane's perspective, but instead Jupiter's aunt. And it's so lovely and charming. And it's how Nino learns about Kane and sees her niece growing up. And oh, Anna, it's so charming. I think you would really like it. That sounds good. And that's the stuff that I've been reading. I really hope I get out of this reading slump soon. Although I've now since read The Raven Tower. So hopefully. I mean, seriously, let's talk about that. Okay, Anna. Yes, let's talk about that. This is a story I have heard. There's a planet filled with gods, some powerful and some only marginally so, and humans who they help and protect if the deal is right and the offerings are good. The raven protects Iridan and Iridan flourishes. But the story is incomplete. You're missing pieces. Human greed, the loyalty of trusted friends, and of course, a rock and a hard place. This is such a great intro. I have to thank well done, my friend. This is done. We are done with this podcast. We have reached the peak. The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie is one of my favorite books of 2019 so far. You know how I loved Getting in the Ninth? That's not even out until fucking September. I feel the same way about this book. This book has big One Piece energy is what I'm saying. This is my favorite book of the year so far. And I've read a lot of books this year. And I'm so excited about it. I just, I thought it was really lovely and like big and different and energetic. And I don't know how much we can talk about it without spoiling. I don't think we really can. However, when the book went up on NetGalley, people were reading it. And so I learned before I even opened it that parts of it were in second person. If you don't go in knowing that, it can be kind of a shock. Oh, part of this book's in second person. Like, an important part of the book. You can't just skim it. You have to, like, actually read it. The main character is speaking to someone in second person. And so when I say I got, like, big One Piece energy from this, I also got Sunshine energy from Robin McKinley. Wow, your comparisons to this book. I make these comparisons because in One Piece, Oda is very, very good at, like, characterization of his characters, but also inanimate objects. 
And in Sunshine, it's a very character-driven story where the narrative is very intimate because it's like a diary. The other day I called Sunshine like a diary from someone living through the supernatural post-apocalypse. And I really feel that same energy from this one, even though it's not a diary per se. But it's because this book is so different that you can make those kind of comparisons. It's very epic fantasy. Yeah, but cozy. I called it cozy epic fantasy in my review. It's like, which are two things that are so like separate, right? So different, the coziness and the epicness. But I feel like that's exactly what it is because it's just about a god telling its own story from the beginning of times. But it's also kind of like the type of god that it is, a god that takes its sweet time just thinking about things. Someone asks the god a question and it takes centuries to think about it and reply. I love that about it. And then when it decides to reply, like everything has, has changed around the god. It was super lovely. But also it's a revenge story. And you don't realize that until like the very last line. You get an inkling towards the ending. And then the very last line of this novel is just like, oh, shit. We highly recommend that you go read The Raven Tower by Anne Lanky. We loved it a whole lot. But if you haven't read it yet and you don't want to be spoiled any more than we've already spoiled you, you need to go and read the book. I think if you go into the book with an open mind and like an open heart to have feelings, you will like it. If you like linguistics and musings about language, you might also enjoy it. And also, it's very different to her science fiction series. From this point on, it's going to be spoiler central. So you have been warned. Anna. Renee. I had so many feelings about this rock. I know. That fucking rock! Yeah, for those who haven't read but are still here, don't mind being spoiled, the god is literally a rock on the hill. The god is called in Strength and Patience of the Hill. And it's a rock. And one day this rock decides to go fight a war to defend its friends. And it gets fucked because of words. And becomes a prisoner of war. Exactly. Listen, I, w- I was I was messed up. I was messed up. And when I finished this book, I was like, uh, what? Uh, what? Yeah. And Lucky, how did you do this? Do you have Oda's number? Do you have his phone number? Can you speak Japanese secret- secretly, Anne Lanky? Have you talked to him about how to rip your reader's hearts out via an animate object? How did you do this magic? Do you know what it reminded me of? Of Monument Valley. The little rock there. At one point, we think it's dead, and then it comes back. <laughs> that game was also really good at get- about getting you to care about that little rock. This is the year, Anna, that we cry over rocks apparently i know it just means that our hearts are not made of stone oh good one (laughs) okay so let's talk about yolo who the god meets when he arrives with the lisa's heir to the city where the raven tower is yolo is a trans character although the book does not have the same language but that's really what's happening it's not a plot point it's just there. The gods, it sometimes gets attached to humans. And for some reason, he became very attached to YOLO. And it's observing everything that YOLO is doing. And it's trying to communicate with him. And at one point, it succeeds. 
And there's a lot of politics and diplomacy, and it's a really complex novel, right? It really reminded me of Provenance, even though it's very, it's, it's this is fantasy, Provenance is science fiction, and Provenance is set in the same world as the um, ancillary, just as um, novels, but it's a standalone in that world. But it's all about language and, and talking and diplomacy and politics, too. So where Provenance is about culture, The Raven Tower is about language. And the way that we use language to get what we want or control people. To the point where, depending on the language used and the things that are true or not, humans can come to control gods. If they can use trickery or if they can find loopholes in the confidence that they have with a god, for example. Because everything that a god speaks is true. If it's not, a god dies. I got so stressed. When the people that the strings were protecting got attacked, and he was like, the god that did this is dead. I'm like, no! (laughs) I was Myriad. And let's talk about Myriad for a moment. Myriad is a god as well. But what I found fascinating about Myriad is that I feel like the book insinuates that at some point, a meteor hits the earth like a uh, ELE, e, like an ELE event, right? Like with the dinosaurs. That me- that meteor is myriad. Yep. Or the organism that was in the rock that then inhabits mosquitoes now. Basically, it's an alien. The myriad is an alien. They have this really great friendship, although I, myriad gets impatient for how long they take to have discussions. I was always like, it's really funny that you're like a thing that used to go around space in a big circle and you probably had a lot of time to think and you get impatient. But maybe that's why Myriad gets impatient. They're just like, I'm tired of all this stuff taking so much time. I've done that. I've done that. I'm done. And I really, really loved their friendship. It was so heartwarming when the strength gets so angry and says that God is dead and basically renders themselves insentient for like two years in human time the myriad comes back and was like i can't believe you did that that was so irresponsible i'm in a temper with you i'm just like oh (laughs) i was like we've we've all been there with our friends where we've done something really silly and irresponsible and our friends are like what are you doing no there were other characters that i liked that weren't as central to the plot like the priests who they were very attached to and the ways that they took care of the priests that they sort of adopted. Which I guess is the same is the same thing that happened with Iolo too. It adopted him and effectively saved his life in the end, which is what he was trying to say to him all along. Iolo gets involved with the murder investigation that was not really a murder but was, in fact, a murder because it was the murder of a god in the end, but not the murder of the Lees. And the way that the characters insisted that something that was said had to be true, otherwise the god was dead. I just loved how that was a plot point that kept going on and on and on and on. Yellow is so smart because we're seeing this story play out from this very specific position. What we know as the god is talking through Yellow's actions and showing us what Yellow is doing, we don't see everything that Yellow does. We can infer like the god does, but 
we can't really see like internal thoughts. And so there's like some, there's a little bit of distance, but in that distance is fascinating amounts of characterization. And I really think, and like you did a wonderful job with it, you kind of have to fill in the blanks yourself and infer from what Eolo is doing, the actions that Eolo is taking, the things that Eolo is saying, what kind of person that Eolo is. Like what I took away from this book is that you have this cozy epic fantasy novel, which is a perfect way to say it, where one of the important secondary characters is this extremely politically savvy trans character who lives with his lady friend. It's all, it's like a, almost like an action novel where the hero gets gets the girl. But in this case, I really think it's more like the hero takes the girl away and they will discuss a relationship going forward and Iolo will not be in charge of that no, discussion. absolutely not. Yeah. Oh, man, I love this book so much. The more we talk about it, the more... I find things that I love. And it's like, it's really brilliant the way that she did it. I should have given it a 10 instead of a 9. Why did you give it a 9? I don't know. Anna, it's time to go back and just change it. Nobody will know except now you said it on the podcast, so everybody will know. Just go back to the review, change it on to a 10. Be like, I thought about this. I was wrong. It's a 10. <laughs> and you did think about it. You have the proof. Yeah, I know. I always say that I wish there were more standalone fantasy novels. But when I love a fantasy novel, I'm like, wow, I'd read more in this world. I did this with the Goblin Emperor, where I was just like, oh, standalone fantasy novel, yeah. And then I got through with it, and I loved it. I'm like, oh, I wish there was more. Basically, I'm a fickle asshole. Oh, I actually think this one is perfect as it is. I don't think it needs anything else. It is perfect as it is. It doesn't need anything else. But I'm me, fanish person. I suspect that there will be so much great fic for this book. I am already looking forward to like Yuletide, like really interesting stuff with language, more stuff with the god. At the end of the book, we learn that the raven imprisoned them. And because the raven's power has been draining over the centuries, the strength and silence of the hill is not like a rando small god. The raven fucked up. Big time. He imprisoned the wrong god he's super patient he's also very patient (laughs) and one of the reasons i think that the strength and silence of the hill attached to yellow liked them so much is because yellow was very deliberate very thoughtful very patient yeah because even at the beginning when when things are still happening so for example mawat was just locked himself in the room to have a tantrum and yellow just sat outside chilling and waiting so let's talk about the I can't pronounce their name, but there are some travelers. One of them is named Dupesu. He and his compatriots have a snake god with them. They are like part of the conspiracy. But I also find it interesting how Enlucky wrote these foreigners with their lack of the language that everybody else speaks. Very obviously, they're not fluent in the language of Iridan, but she makes it work, even with all this broken language and i'm just like that's fascinating and they were also fascinating characters too because they had all they had these dif- these different shifting alliances yolo does not trust them no but at the end of the day everything's about greed right yeah greed and power 
the biggest takeaway I have, what's the use of clamoring over power and influence when your lives are so short? The strength has so much patience. How how much time did they spend in the Raven Tower just waiting for a chance to take revenge? And meanwhile, these humans are living and dying and living and dying in this very quick cycle. And so we get to see this really wide view of human choices and how the choices that you make can enrich your life or, you know, lead you to you dead on the ground because you pissed off a god. Like, what good is power if it's going to cost you your existence? Mm-hmm. And how petty it is to scrabble and scrape for these little tiny pieces of power. I think about this in the context of some of the political work I do here. And how it's really weird to have these very small, not that powerful position in like local politics. And you will get people fighting tooth and nail for that power in a way that is very toxic. And... It's not that much power to be expending that much energy and putting that much toxicity into the world for. And I think this book really does a good job of showing what that process looks like from somebody who is as old as the world itself. There's so much to get out of it. So I, I talk about how I feel like it's a cozy epic fantasy. So I think this is like a, like a sub- subversion of the genre in itself. But I also feel like that the fact that it's in second person narrative and that the main character, not the main character, the, the chosen one, say, the chosen one by the gods to survive is a trans man is also a very empowering message and a subversion of usual tropes in the genre, which I think is something that Unlike does really well and has been doing really well in her fiction. I think one of the things that I didn't quite get, and maybe you can tell me what your theory is, the spinning. I never quite put together why the spinning accomplished anything. The rock's a millstone. Millstone spin. I don't know. I understand, like, at the end, like, why he made this deal that he didn't realize that the god could take advantage of. Like, oops, that's what you get for being imprecise in your language. Specificity is key. But initially, why the spinning? Possibly to begin with, it was maybe the sacrifice of the people doing the spinning. So it was taking power from that sacrifice of those people that were continuously doing that work. And it was hard work, right? I think maybe that was the beginning. It was not the spinning itself, but the work in the spinning. Yeah, but now I'm kind of like, now I'm wondering about the spinning too. Maybe we should ask our space bees who read this book and tell us, hey, what did you make of the spinning initially? We know what happens with the spinning after the war ends and the raven takes uh, the strength and patience of the hill prisoner. But what about before? I'm curious to see what other people like read into that. I like your interpretation. That's really neat. The strength and patience of the hill didn't like larger sacrifices. They were very content with like milk and eggs and... Like, very small, like, thoughtful things. Yeah, but it needed more power, right? To be able to help in the war. So maybe the power came from that bigger sacrifice of the people that were just working exclusively for them. I I kept, like, gendering the heel as he. Yeah, me too. For me, it came because of Iolo. I was constantly like, oh, cool, Iolo is a dude. And the narrative would remind you, so I was just always in that mindset. And so I had to correct myself multiple times. With the strength and patience of the hill. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Anna, how many space beads are you giving this? One billion. Five. Five space beads. Also five space beads from me. This was excellent. I'm super excited. Mm, I hope everybody loves it. If you don't love it, don't at me. <laughs> and everybody who does love it can come to me and we can cry together. Over the life of a hot rock. In 2040, a ship capable of faster-than-light travel leaves on its first voyage deep into the solar system, but vanishes. Seven years later, the architect of the ship takes a rescue crew to Neptune, where the ship, the Event Horizon, has finally been found. That's right. It's time for The Shining in Space. It's a great way of putting it, and I can totally see it. So I have just a few notes, and two of them are sexual harassment in the workplace in 2047 in space. And also the second note is smoking in a confined spaceship. What? Because surely this is a hazard. You can definitely tell that we were in the 90s, right? I like the beginning where it's like, in 2015, we established the first permanent colony on the moon. Guys, I hate to break it to you, but in 2015, Donald Trump, became a political figure and we did none of these things <laughs> i'm sorry screenwriters although it's really funny 1997 2015 in 1997 2015 must have seemed like so long but like looking back at 1997 from 2015 you're like it's like mm, no it's not that long but it is though because if you especially if you think in terms of technology and the things that we didn't have in 1997 like, this entire conversation right now would not happen in 1997 because no Skype, no Google Notes <laughs> for our show notes, nothing. This would not be happening. The internet was internet. Yeah, there was internet. There was internet really early. I had it at home, but I got it in 1994. And I was in rural Arkansas. So it was more widespread in the 90s. 1987 would have been the year, like, right before I think the internet like, super blew up. Because it was right before Google launched, like, the Google search. But on the, on the plus side, this movie is set in deep space where you can't communicate with Earth. Because they're stranded at Neptune on a haunted spaceship. With a demon. They have a gravity field that opens the space-time continuum. And it speaks Latin. Like, it could be awesome aliens. But no, it's a demon that speaks Latin. Therefore, it's biblical. Fuck the shit. Yeah, also, their Latin is bad. There have been debates over the Latin in this movie. Oh, really? They get the Latin wrong. Oh, no. Liberate, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's Jason Isaacs, whom I love. And I was very pleased to see him in there. In the movie, they say, Liberate me, uh, Liberate me to infer- inferis, or I can't speak Latin. They sort of get it right, but like the, the emphasis are all wrong. Liberate is, they make it one word instead of it should be two words, and it should be liberatu or something like that. Listen, as a kid, I was obsessed with this movie. I don't know why. And I was also obsessed with this Latin phrase. I was a very strange kid. And so I would like, do research but is this like correct latin wow there are debates online about this latin phrase and what the correct grammar is it's out there you can google it the internet is amazing it's it's an amazing place and actually they didn't want it to be aliens apparently like the other movies that were going around uh at the time 
they didn't want to make it too similar to any alien movies. And so they liked the fact that it was a haunted house story. When I was a kid, I also thought there was a demon. What do you think it is? Do you think it was what, the ghost of the ship? Do you think it's all in their head? They are hallucinating because they are so far away from home? Uh, no. Like, I don't think it's like a demon like we think of, like, demons. You couldn't, you, you don't see it. You only see it through the actions of the people that it uses. So, like, when I was a kid, I thought that the captain was the, the demon. The Event Horizon had a crew, and that it had they had a captain. And when they clean up some of the log, the captain is there introducing his crew, and he uses some Latin. And then later on, they clean it up more where they're, they're, they're having, like, a, a gore orgy. I don't know what else to call it. And he uses Latin again. He uses that Latin phrase. And for when I was a kid, I was like, oh, that's the bad guy. No, that's just the captain being inhabited by the bad guy. And we don't even know who the bad guy is because we never see the bad guy. The bad guy only operates through our consciousness. I mean, it could be a demon because the movie does not explain whether it's like a demon, whether it's like a group, uh, like whether it's like a consciousness, an evil consciousness. Is it is it a singular consciousness? Is it like a because demon implies to me like singular consciousness. Who knows? I don't understand why I was so obsessed with this movie as a kid. Yeah, I don't understand it either. I didn't like horror movies. I like space movies. And at that time, like, it was hard to find space movies that were, like, horror. Uh, I talked about this movie on my my Dream With Journal once about how it was pretty formative. And somebody was like, how can you say that's formative? That movie? Why? Why that? I lived in rural Arkansas. And, like, the media I consumed was super white. And if it wasn't super white, guess who died first? Yeah, this one is really good in terms of that, right? So the only character that survives is the sexual harasser, who's black, and the girl. He only makes that comment once. The other, all the other times, he's helpful. It doesn't make it doesn't make up for it. The the shitty writing, the shitty characterization of that man. It's a shame because he, if you put that aside, it would have been such a great, cool character who was like a real true hero in that movie. The heroes in this film are. The black captain, and then Cooper, who literally is fixing a ship. The ship blows up. He gets blasted into space, outer space. And he's like, fuck, what do I do? And he's smart enough to get back to the ship. And then the bad guy is like shooting like hull repair stuff, busts out the window of the spaceship. So he sends him flying away from the ship again. And he still is manages to get back to the airlock and get back into the ship. If this had been like made like after 2000, he would have been the first guy who died. That's interesting how we went back in time. I mean, obviously, Lawrence Fishburne, who is the captain of the Lewis and Clark, the rescue ship that goes to the Event Horizon, he dies, but he dies heroically, saving the rest of his crew. I agree. So when I say it's formative, after I watched this movie, I would go and watch other stuff, and the black characters wouldn't survive. And so when I say like when I say formative, I mean that so much of my media consumption had presented black bodies as disposable that when I got a movie that really presented these two black men as heroic characters that survive, like it changed my perspective on visual media. I was a kid. Like I wasn't thinking that deeply about race in the 90s. And so it just changed how I paid attention to media and what was happening in the media on a, on a race level. This really questionably made space horror movie did more to teach me about how to pay attention to what was happening with race in media than my school did. My school got the whole lost cause 
narrative taught to us in history class about the Civil War and stuff. Rule Arkansas. Obviously, that was bottom of the barrel. Pay attention to what's happening with race in your media. But I was a kid. I'm giving myself a pass. It really changed how I paid attention to race in film. And that's why I say it was formative. Well, this was not formative for me in any way, shape, or form. I only watched it for the first time a couple of years ago and now again. Uh, what were your takeaways when you finished? It's a fun movie. It's not life-changing or anything. It was like a very competent space horror. Uh, if they ever do like a re-release, they should put that quote on the front cover. A very competent space horror dash Anna Grillo, book smugglers. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back at childhood me and her love of this film, li- the things that I liked about it then and took away from it then weren't always present in this viewing. For example, I really loved Justin and Stark. Justin uh, went into the sh- went into the engineering first and got sucked into the the dimensional gateway into hell. I still don't understand why he would put his hand in the fucking hole as a rescue search and rescue person. Movie logic is amazing. Childhood me that was a he was a much bigger bigger character and adult me is like this guy is like barely there. What the hell was I doing? And Stark also is one of those characters who is barely there. Like we see her sort of at the beginning and then once everything gets going, she kind of fades away. And also her and Miller have this very antagonistic relationship. It's very weird. Like he's like, he cares very much about his crew, but he's very gruff and kind of mean to the women. You can sort of see the Lawrence Fishburne that we're going to know and love a few years later in The Matrix. So this was before The Matrix, right? Yeah. Matrix was 1999. The only ever movie that I watched it on VCR. I didn't go to the movies to watch it because I wasn't aware. So I rented it and I finished it. I was like, what the fuck just happened? And I immediately rewinded it and watched it again. That's the only movie that I have ever done this in my life. The Matrix? Because I loved it so much. Yeah. I guess one of my favorite things about this movie as a kid was the space aesthetic like spaceship yay i was so hungry for like space stuff that was not star trek or star wars because for some reason childhood me was like Mm-mm. however the design of the event horizon a dude designed a drive that would rip a hole to hell there was a joke somebody posted on twitter where their mom taught spanish and somebody once asked them why is it El problema and not la problema. And the teacher was like, because men are the problem. (laughs) I read that tweet and then I went and watched this movie and I was just like, I see you, Spanish teacher. I feel you deep. Like, number one, what? Number two, what? So one dude. And like, you can tell dudes wrote this movie because, oh, yeah, one dude created this drive, this ship, this idea. One dude is going on this rescue mission. What? One dude doesn't do anything in this world. Everything's a group effort. Well, guess he's a genius. Well, he wasn't smart enough to resist the evil spaceship. And also, like, this movie leads off with insinuations that he and his wife are no longer together, but what we find out is that his, like, he was distant from his wife, and because she was so lonely, she took her own life. That's because, do you know why? Men wrote this movie. Because he's El Problema. Well, we were both right. Yes, that's bullshit fridge motivation too, isn't it? Like, it doesn't drive him into space or anything. He's still doing this work. 
And it's not like it's not connected. Well, I guess it is because then he decides to go on this journey that will take a long time. Okay, well, this movie is sort of scary if you like jump scares because it's really good at jump scares. I didn't think I didn't think it was so scary though. Yeah, that's a lie. You told me this is so scary while you were watching it. It was, but not alien scary, for example. I thought aliens was more scary. But when I say scary, I mean jump scares specifically. You'll be watching, you'll be watching. Loud noise. Also, as as soon as he digs out his own eyes, he suddenly becomes superhuman. The internal logic of this movie is not the greatest. (laughs) Is there any? (laughs) I also like all the foreshadowing they do. Yeah, that's part part of the ship. It can be blown up to separate the forward and the, the, the front and the back of the ship, which looks like an elongated penis because men wrote this movie. With that said, I really feel like this movie did not hold up to the, my childhood memory of it. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. But I still did love Cooper, even though he was a sexually harassing jerk. Was this really necessary? Like, absolutely not. I mean, obviously, Smitty, the way that they decided to characterize him was, oh, I'm just going to hang half-naked pictures of women all over the spaceship where uh, my female co-workers can see. He was super horny and he was, he was commenting about not getting laid on while he was working to his female co-worker. And she's like, he's right. It's been too... I'm like, what in the hell? Men wrote this movie. So Anna, how many space bees are you going to give this? I think about three. I'm, I'm giving it two. What? I'm giving it two. What a twist. So it really did not stand the test of time for you. No, it didn't. Sadly. Aww. I would not revisit this space movie again. I'll just go rewatch Jupiter Ascending. That sounds like good life advice. That's always good life advice. Feeling bad? Rewatch Jupiter Ascending. Having a bad day? Watch Jupiter Ascending. Good advice, regardless. Anna, what have you been obsessed with lately? I moved to London recently. I moved from a house to a flat in a building. I lived in the house for 14 years and had just my next door neighbor who was lovely. Lovely and silent. I now live in a building and a flat directly above me. It's weird. They throw super loud parties. There was this one time when they threw this party with the music so loud, every single one of my windows were shut down and it felt like I was inside a nightclub. It was like boom, boom, boom inside my house. I had to call. We live, it's kind of like a development, so it has a concierge and it has security, right? So if there's any problem, I can call concierge and concierge sends security to knock on people's door to ask them to reduce the noise level. So I did that back in August at that party. They have been like mostly quiet, but making like really weird noises. Like last night, during the night, Russell couldn't sleep. Thank God I slept through this one. And they were doing something like this. I don't think it was sex because he fe- he said it didn't sound like sex. I don't know what sex sounds like. I mean, I, I know, I you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Anyway, things have been weird. And last week they had a party on Sunday. Then they had a party on Monday. The time that parties need to stop is at 11. That's when you have like this uh, social hours, right? So if it goes beyond 11, can just email ask security to go knock on people's doors and ask them to turn the volume down. I had to do that on Sunday. I had to do that on Monday. And then I wake up on Thursday. I go to my balcony and there's a slat from their blind 
simply hanging between their balcony and my balcony. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Why? How is this happening? So I went to their flat, knock on their door and say, please, can you just try and pull? Because I tried to pull from from my end and it wouldn't come down. So it's obviously stuck somewhere in their window, I think. So that was last Thursday. It's been a week. The thing was still hanging here. I went to their door. Nobody answered. And then I noticed that the doorknob was like unscrewed. I don't know what these people are doing. So I went to concierge and concierge is like, oh, I know these people. And then the blind, it still was still here this morning. And last night it was just because it was so windy, it was just banging, blap, 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 blap against the door. And I couldn't sleep. I cut it down. I got my scissors and I just chopped down the slat. And I don't care because they are assholes. Oh, apartment living. I grew up in an apartment building. It was fine. I mean, there were problems, obviously, but I have grown, I guess I have grown out of this life. And it's so noisy here, too. And Cambridge was so, like, I had problems with the birds singing. (laughs) And I don't even hear birds anymore. Anna is anti-bird. We named it Pimble, and he would go like, bling, 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 am renee right next to my end anyway these are my obsessions tell me about yours uh i'm writing a book i don't know how bad it is but i'm writing it and i wrote a lot of it in 2017 i read about 13,000 words on it in 2017 i was going to continue it but instead i went to work on political campaigns and didn't continue it i have picked it back up and one of the techniques i'm using to get words down is a star sticker system. Now the system comes from B.E. Schwab who suggests that you get a calendar and some star stickers. And every time you write so many words, you give yourself a sticker on the calendar. I have been using that method in order to add words to this document and it has been working really, really well. The draft was at like 14 something when I opened it initially and now I have reached 21,000. Well done. And how many stickers do you have? You can assign the word count that you want to the sticker. Like if you write slow, you can be like, okay, a sticker is worth 300. I work in counts of a thousand. So every a thousand words, I get a sticker. Every 20,000 words, I get a sticker, but I also get like a whale sticker because, you know, whale of a tail. It's like a joke. And every 50,000 words, I get like a bigger sparkly sticker. I love it. In theory, when I finish the book, I'll get like a like a special uh, unicorn sticker because I finished the book. Magical. And so that's what I've been obsessed with. Stickers and also writing words. Schwab's point is that when you have this calendar and you can see your progress and you can look at a day of the week and you can see you don't have a sticker yet and you're like, oh, I haven't written my words for today. She makes the point that if your novel is 60 to 90K and you're using a, a, like a count of a thousand to represent one sticker then technically in three months you have a book if you write every day i don't know if i'm going to have a book in three months mostly because i have no outline for this book that i'm writing and i'm sort of just winging it and making shit up as i go i don't know how to write original fiction i don't know how to characterize original characters i've been writing fanfic for so long that 
that's where I'm comfortable and I'm not really comfortable in original fiction. I don't know how original fiction works. I don't know how they decide where to put chapters. How many words are in a chapter? I don't know. How like how many scenes are in a chapter? I don't know. How often do you switch point of view? I don't know. Writing a book is hard work because not only are you writing the book, you're also like having to think a lot about pacing. Also, I'm bad at that too. What's pacing? I'll be writing and I'll be like, ah, oh, this is getting boring. This is just a bunch of talking. And what do I do? And I'm like, make something go wrong. And that's literally how I've been handling it so far. So yes, I've been obsessed with assigning, assigning goals to stickers and then giving myself stickers when I meet goals. And it's worked out really, really great. I also have a subscription to a sticker service. What? Yeah, called Pip Sticks. And every month they send you a package of stickers. There's a thing that exists. It does. There are subscription boxes for dogs. On the internet of things, you can also get a subscription box for stickers. How much is that? It's like $15 a month. And given that it's $15 a month, the value of the things that you're getting is amazing. Because I could go on Etsy and buy and spend $15 buying like three sets of stickers. But in the sets that I get in this little package, I'm getting like $25 to $30 worth of stickers that I would have to buy, buy on Etsy. And are they good? They're cool? Yep. So, yep, that's what I've been obsessed with. Writing and stickers. Uh, wish me luck with this draft, though. <laughs> Finger Happy Hour is supported by all of our patrons. Thanks to all of you. Our $5 patrons are especially dedicated to the cause of helping us shout out our opinions on Al Gore's internet. Anna, go. Robin, Hedwig, Karen, Mark, and Lara. Thanks. Thanks to Jocelyn, Transcendessing, KJ, Alyssa, and Jen. To Anne-Marie, Margot, Amanda, and Claire. Thank you. And finally, big thanks to Brandy, Dervla, Amy, Elisa M, and Philip. Y'all are awesome. Thanks to all of our space bees at every level for helping us make our show. We appreciate you all so much. You have completed an episode of Fangirl Happy Hour. If you have any thoughts or recs, hit us up on Twitter at FangirlPod or shoot us an email at FangirlHappyHour at gmail.com. Our podcasting team includes our show artists, Ira and Susan, our transcription queen. Their work is available at FangirlHappyHour.com. Our team is also you listening right now, our Patreon supporters and newsletter subscribers. You are all superstars. Drink some water, contact all your reps, even the ones on the state level, and do something nice for yourself. Be the solution, not el problema. Thanks for listening to our show, Space Bees. See you next episode. Papa, can you hear me? What? I'm dead! No, you're alive. <laughs> so okay. You had to finish chewing first, obviously. <laughs> oh, so, so, we've suddenly entered the ASMR market. ASMR market? What's that? Listen, I do not know how to explain ASMR. You just need to Google it. <laughs> okay. Oh, problema. It's actually the same thing in Portuguese. It's o problema. I never considered it, how weird it is. Because usually a word ending in A, it's a female word, so it should be a problema, but it's o problema. How bizarre.